This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hey everybody, welcome to my series on Seneca's writings, and in today's episode I'm going to be covering the last couple of verses of Seneca's fourth epistle. And if you've read Seneca before, then you'll definitely know that what he likes to do often at the end of his letters is to sign them off with a certain quote or a passage that he's read or heard from another philosopher who he admires, right? And one of the philosophers that he often quotes is Epicurus. Uh, We know that Seneca was very interested in the Epicurean philosophy, and and one of the, the great things about Seneca was that he really put a high importance on not just learning from people within your own philosophy or discipline, Uh, but going elsewhere and seeing what value you can find in other philosophies and other ways of life so that you can bring them back into the fold and and allow them to benefit you also. And in the last couple of verses here, he's he's signing off the letter and he's essentially giving us uh, one last little, little bit of advice before he signs out. So he says the following, quote, I must end my letter, so let me share with you the saying which pleased me today. It too is culled from another man's garden. Poverty brought into conformity with the law of nature is great wealth. Do you know what limits the law of nature ordains for us? Merely to avert hunger, thirst, and cold. In order to banish hunger and thirst, it is not necessary for you to pay court at the doors of the purse-proud, or to submit to the stern frown, or to the kindness that humiliates. Nor is it necessary for you to scour the seas or go campaigning. Nature's needs are easily provided and ready to hand. It is the superfluous things for which men sweat, the superfluous things that wear our togas threadbare, that force us to grow old in camp, that dash us upon foreign shores. That which is enough is ready to our hands. He who has made a fair compact with poverty is rich. End quote. So there's a few interesting things that it seems Seneca is trying to convince us of by sharing this quote from Epicurus here. And the quote was that poverty brought into conformity with the law of nature is great wealth. So we've already discussed in previous episodes uh, this idea that Seneca tries to convince us of, which is essentially to restructure our perceptions about what it means to have true wealth and what it means to be rich. Uh, You know, changing the definition of what true wealth is from, you know, having these externals around you and having power and success, uh, you know, worldly success, to it being really an internal game. And not only that, but as the quote suggests that you know Seneca shared, uh, true wealth comes from living a life in conformity with the law of nature. And this is, of course, an idea that the Stoics were very familiar with, uh, as well as the Epicureans. You know, it's this idea that a truly meaningful life is one which is lived in agreement with the laws of nature. Um, and we've we've discussed on this show before the the idea that what the philosophers are trying to do, in a sense, is to try and figure out the the laws of the cosmos, you know, the the universal patterns and systems that are in place, which really govern our lives, 
and which, if we were able to live in agreement with or conform ourselves to, would leave us in a state of eudaimonia, which is, of course, the flourishing life. And so Seneca goes on to explain, based on this quote, that he feels that there are a few things that nature kind of takes care of for you, in that, you know, you can find food, you can find water, and you can, you know, find shelter from the cold. And he, he also kind of explains that you don't really need to go around sucking up to people in order to get these things. You don't need to lose your soul in order to get these things. And this is actually a, a, a way more complex idea that would require many, many episodes to dive into. But uh, one thing I will point out here is that it's interesting to see that this idea uh, clearly separates Seneca's philosophy from, say, that of Aristotle. You know, Aristotle believed that for a human to have a really meaningful life, then it definitely wouldn't hurt them and might actually uh, increase the chances of them having a meaningful life if, you know, they had a little bit of that physical attractiveness, if they uh, had a, a certain level of material success in society. And that's certainly the way that most of us act. I mean, if, if, if you believe what people say, then you might believe, you know, that what Seneca is saying here is, is perfectly true, which is that if you're in poverty, if you're just willing to live in conformity with the laws of nature, then you can still be very happy. But most of us live as if it's important to have a little bit of that uh, material success in order to uh, give us a position within society where we feel as though we are contributing and being rewarded for that contribution. But something that we also see uh, in, in, in this kind of passage where Seneca is talking about uh, how little we need to live a flourishing life when we conform our needs to nature uh, is we see the real influence both on Epicureanism as well as Stoicism of the Cynics. And we know that Stoicism is a, a philosophy born straight out of the cynics. I mean, Zeno of Citium spent uh, a lot of time with a man called Crates of Thebes. I believe he spent 20 years. It might, I might be wrong. It might have been 10. Uh, but he spent a lot of time with this philosopher. And cynicism, you could say almost that cynicism was an experiment in seeing just how little a human being could have in terms of possessions and, and worldly needs uh, in order to live a flourishing life. There's a great story about the cynic philosopher Diogenes uh, who went down to get a drink from the lake, I believe it was, and he got his cup out to, to fill it up with water and he looked over at this child who came down and the child was drinking with his hands, right? And essentially, Diogenes the Cynics threw away his cup and said, you know, how could this kid essentially be a better philosopher than I? You know, how can he live with less than I am living? And so cynicism was this, this great experiment in seeing just how little human beings could go, could go with uh, and still live a happy life. And so that really influenced the Stoic philosophers. And we see that influence here with this idea that even if you're an absolute poverty, right? You still have what is necessary to live a meaningful life. And that's, that's a really difficult idea to wrestle with because it's one that you don't really know and you can't really believe until you have tried it. But on the other hand, you know, the, this idea that the meaningful life or the flourishing life is one which is lived in agreement with nature or in agreement with the universal principles under which we are governed, 
that's a really interesting and rich idea that the Stoics really hold to. And as we go throughout all of these letters from Seneca, I'm, I'm sure that we're going to touch on this idea multiple times because he does talk about it uh, in, in many of his letters. And, and I know that we're going to be able to form a more complete picture of what this idea actually means. But for now, I, I just want to point out that within this idea is one of the most interesting and captivating promises to those who seek this way of life. And the promise is simply this. If you are able to understand the universal patterns that continue to repeat themselves and the commonalities between all things that, uh, that, that essentially govern us in this cosmos, and if you are able to live your life in agreement with those universal principles, the Stoics call it uh, universal nature, uh, then what is promised to you is a meaningful, flourishing life pretty much no matter what happens to you. And I don't want to oversimplify things because there's a lot more that goes into that principle. There's a lot more that goes into that promise. Uh, but for the purposes of this discussion, you know, I just want to remind you that when, when you read something like this, when you read something like poverty brought into conformity with the law of nature is great wealth, it's it's really easy for us to, you, you know, you get that little icky feeling inside, like, ah, oh, is it... Is it really, you know, are there really people who are in, in terrible poverty and still able to live a meaningful life? You know, I, don't, I don't quite know if that's, if that's possible. You know, and so you can get kind of cynical about the idea, right, before, before you, you really know whether it holds any ground. And, and you can also play the other side, which is just to accept it blindly and say, heck yeah, you know, even in poverty, I'm going to be happy. And, and that, that kind of, you know, ignorance uh, of thought is also um, not particularly helpful because if you, if you just take the idea like that without thinking about it properly, then you're probably going to get hit pretty hard if you do ever fall upon bad times. And, uh, you know, just because you have this ideology in your head that tells you that uh, a life lived in accordance with nature's laws is, uh, is good even in poverty, then uh, that, that doesn't mean that you're going to actually feel fulfilled if you find yourself in poverty, right? And so what I'd really encourage you to do with these sorts of ideas is to not say yes or no, but uh, to use a word uh, and, 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 and a thought process that was given to me by Sharon LaBelle. I may have shared it with you on previous uh, episodes in this series, but the word is po. And it essentially means to let an idea sit within your mind. Sit with an idea. Uh, don't say yes or no. Just, let, just meditate on it for a while. You know, see what happens when you think about this idea. And I've certainly found this process to be of unbelievable value to me in my thinking process when I'm trying to wrestle with certain philosophical ideas. Just to, to remain distant from this need that we feel within ourselves to to agree or disagree, to say yes or no, but to to wrestle with the idea and, and play with it and see what happens. And you know, one of the things that really comes up in my mind when I meditate on on this kind of idea of of living in conformity with nature uh, and and with the idea of uh, uh, of really not needing a lot in our lives to live a truly happy and and meaningful life. Uh, so one thing that comes up for me is there are definitely people out there who seem, at least from the outside, 
to be living happy, fulfilling, meaningful lives despite the fact that they have very, very, very little. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is going to have that same uh, experience, but it does mean that for the humankind, it is certainly possible to live a full and rich life despite having very little, despite having circumstances that to others might seem unbearable. And so that should definitely make you think, you know, it should definitely make you question your attachment and your felt sense of need when it comes to uh, the external niceties, which we often chase with such vigor. And that's really where Seneca ended up in his analysis of that passage, is, is really trying to remind us that, listen, there are so many things that you don't need, and look at how much effort you're putting into trying to get them. You know, look at how much of your life you're spending trying to get these things that ultimately you don't need, and they don't really make a huge difference in your life satisfaction. And that sort of stuff is also very much up for debate. But uh, uh, one other thing I want to point out is that as we continue in this series, I will definitely, uh, as I said earlier, be interested in diving a lot deeper into this idea of living in conformity with nature, uh, because it is really the state that the Stoics were aiming at. And, you know, as I have explored this idea and explored Stoic philosophy, uh, you know, the true value of such an idea has really uh, uh, become apparent to me. And, and I really want to dive deeper into it because there's, it's so rich in, in really valuable life advice. So uh, we'll definitely be doing that. But other than that, I really hope that you took away something of use from today's episode. And uh, I'll talk to you next time. <music>